Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast of Venture Church in South Mississippi. Find out more about us at VentureChurch.org. Well, I want to welcome you guys. We are in week two of a series that we're calling Peace. And this series is really all about anxiety and depression. And we have asked ourselves many times already why we haven't preached on this series before. And I don't know. But I know this, this series is meeting many of you right where you are. If you missed last week, boy, go back and watch that message. Jeff did an incredible job. And if there was a theme of last week's message, it would really be that you're not alone. I mean, Jeff shared right here in front of everybody that's watching all of our campuses. He said, depression, anxiety is something I deal with daily. And he kind of walked you through what his battle with depression and anxiety has been like. Now, last week, I wasn't here. Instead, I got the chance for the first time to go to our Gulfport campus. And it's 10 o'clock, the 10 o'clock experience. You guys are meeting right now. And I want you to know, last week, I I, I could not believe my eyes. I mean, it was amazing to get to see Gulfport High School. These classrooms turn into KXP classrooms. And this auditorium where students are every day of the week turn into this place where it's a campus of Venture Church. And you guys get there at 7 o'clock and you set up. And then you have an amazing experience at 10. And then you clean up and it turns back into Gulfport High School. And we just want to take a minute and say thank you. Blake, Ashley, Clint, JJ, Hunter, what you're doing down there is amazing. Can we just thank that team for setting up and taking down every single week? Yes. Well, listen, Teddy, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was the youngest U.S. president, and he wrote something in his journal that I think encompasses the way that we feel when we talk about when you experience, when we experience anxiety and depression. He said this on February 14, 1884. He says, it's as if the light of my life has gone out. And I don't know where you are on the, on the scope of depression and anxiety. Maybe you're like Jeff and you battle depression and anxiety. Maybe you're more like me. And listen, I want to be honest with you. Depression and anxiety hasn't been a battle that I have faced. In fact, when I hear depression and anxiety, it's really a topic that I run from. I don't have a frame of reference for it. These are feelings that really I haven't connected with. I'm going to tell you, whether it's a blessing or a curse, I'm pretty constant. But for me, depression and anxiety became real when the light didn't go out in my life, but it went out in the person that I love the most. And I remember it so clearly. It was 11 years ago. My wife and I had been married for three years at that season and time. We'd had our first child. Uh, everything was going great. She was a teacher. I was in sales. I was in ministry at that time. I was at another church. And uh, everything should have been perfect in our life in that season. But she looked at me and she said, I am depressed and I am anxious and I cannot sleep. I cannot eat. And I need some help. And I just want to go ahead and tell you, you need to know this because I can already feel this in the room. All right, Depression and anxiety is something we share openly about. Katie knows that this is a part of this message, so you can take a deep breath. Uh, if you've been in our growth group, you're like, bro, I don't know if you need to share all this right now. She's not here. Uh, if you've been in our growth group over the last eight years, we share every year about kind of our journey through this. This isn't something that we suffer in silence with. This is something that God has brought some peace to our lives with. This is something that we overcome regularly. And so a big part of today is me not just sharing some things that I've learned from this, because again, I'm coming to you from second hand. But what I do want to share with you today 
is that you have a role when someone that you love, their light goes out. Whether that's a child, whether that's one of your children that comes to you and says, I'm dealing with anxiety and depression, and you go, what do I do now? Whether that's your husband or your wife, whether that's a coworker, we need to know how do we love them well when the light in their life has gone out? Because for me, it scared me. Because for me, I wanted to fix it. Because for me, everything that we had faced up until this point, either a date night, a weekend away, or a doctor's visit, we could solve it. But when depression and anxiety hit, I couldn't fix it. And maybe you've been there. If you haven't, you might be. And so I want to share with you today just some tools, some things that I've learned. I've learned depression's not a bad mood. It's not a choice. Instead, it's a battle that we face. And so I want to give you some tools that you can take into battle with you. So when depression hits you or it hits someone that you love, you'll know your next step. First thing I want you to remember when the light in your life goes out is don't stop believing. Don't stop believing that God cares about every single aspect of you. I remember when I got my first paycheck. I'd worked 20 hours. I was making 10 hours, $10 an hour. And so I knew in my mind I should get a check for $200. But you know, like I know, when I finally got the check, there's some other people that got their hands in my check. Some federal and some state and some everybody else got a little bit of my check. I wanted the whole thing. I wanted all of it, everything that I'd earned, but I only got part of it. Listen, I want you to know that God wants all of you. He's not going to settle with just a part of you. Timothy Keller calls God a conquering king. It says as if when he comes into your life, he's not going to settle for a sliver. He doesn't just want a territory. He doesn't just want a part of you. Listen, God wants all of you. Why? Because he created you. Because he formed you. He designed you. And that's what's so special about you. There has never been, there will never be anyone like you. But that isn't a testimony to you. It's a testimony to the God that created and that designed you. So why does that matter? Because when you're in a season of depression and anxiety, it's just a part of you is not working. Instead of running on all four tires, you're just running on three. And there's a part of that, listen, it's not your fault, it's the enemy that's come in that's depressing, that's under attack. In the same way that God comes in and he brings life and he's a conquering king and he wants all of you, depression wants to shut down a part of you. And what we need to remind the people that we love when they're walking through that season, it's that number one, God didn't make a mistake. God didn't design you, there's not something wrong with you. This is just a season you are walking through. This does not have to define you had a doctor in my growth group this week, this week. We're talking about the messages on Wednesday night. And he said, listen, you are not your diagnosis. And I thought, oh, that's so good. Maybe that's the place that you are, where you are struggling with depression and anxiety. That doesn't have to define you. Now, it might be a season you're walking through. We say it this way. It might be the room that you're in, but it's not the house that you live in. And if we have people that we love and they're in that season, remind them. Listen, the people that a lot of times people that struggle with depression, anxiety, like my wife, are some of the most intelligent people you'll ever know. They're some of the people that are gifted with so much empathy. You tell me a concern that's going on. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to pray for you. And it will affect me. I don't know how to say this in front of all of you, but I'm going to get over it. My wife 
She has such a gift for empathy. When you tell her something, she will carry it. If she watches a TV show, she'll cry over the characters in the show. She has that many feelings. Her emotions are that big. And when they're not fully functioning, we miss that. We as a community, as a family, we need that. God designed her that way. And God wants all of her. And so when depression hits, when anxiety hits and it shuts down the side of you, we miss that and we need that. And I need you to hear, number one, God didn't make a mistake. Number two, God is about redeeming every part of you. There's not a part of you that he created that wants to be shut down or depressed. Instead, he wants all of you so that you can worship him with all that you are. Remind them that God designed every aspect of them. Number two, would you step in and would you begin to help people with training your thoughts? Training your thoughts. Listen, I love this analogy. Every train that comes through the station that is your mind, you don't have to ride. Some trains need to come in the station and they need to go out without you taking it for a ride. Some trains you need to let pass. I love to think about it this way. The U.S., you know this, we have the strongest military in the world. Uh, Let's just be honest. Many of you here, you serve in the military in some form or fashion. Can we just thank them for what they do at all of our campuses? One of the reasons we have the strongest military in the world is because we control the skies. If we can control what happens in the skies, then we can control what happens down below. It's that way with your thoughts. If you can control what happens up here, then you can control your emotions. Then you can control your desires. Then you can control your reactions. But listen, that is such a battle, and I understand that. We aren't the first to think this way. The power of your thoughts is so powerful. 2 Corinthians 10, maybe you've heard this verse before. And I want to be real careful with this verse because if you're here and you struggle with anxiety and depression, this is not a tool to make you feel guilty. Listen, if you love someone who's walking through an anxiety and depression, this isn't a weapon for you. Don't weaponize this to make them feel guilty. Instead, this is a challenge to help us understand where the source is coming from. Lots of times it starts with your thoughts. It starts in your mind. Here's the verse. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 10. So, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we, believers, the weapons that we fight with, they're not the weapons of the world. Okay, so what do we have? Well, on the contrary, we have a divine power to demolish strongholds. Listen, so many times depression and anxiety can be a stronghold. It can be a generational stronghold. It can be a label. And in this verse, he's saying we have power to demolish those labels, to demolish those strongholds. How? Well, he tells us. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So the knowledge of God is that he created you, that he loved you, that he formed you, that he designed you for a purpose. And if we know that to be true of God and depression and anxiety is the opposite of that, it's crippling, it's deflating, it's not encouraging It's diminishing a side of you. So we know that what we're going to do is go to war against that. How do you do it? Well, here it is. He says, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. In other words, Paul says, we go to battle against our thoughts. We go to battle against our thoughts. And he gives you two steps to go to battle against your thoughts because you need to hear this. My wife, she made this so clear to me. She said, listen, if you, if you tell me to quit thinking something, I can't just quit thinking something. If I say there's a pink elephant in the room, what are you going to do? Well, think about the pink elephant. 
But Paul says, listen, here, here's a step number one. Take your thoughts captive. And he uses a war term to help him understand the seriousness of this. The seriousness of this. When a thought comes into your mind, you've got to take it captive. Because if you don't, you will run with it. I did this. Listen, when we were struggling in that season, I remember this. I needed to take my thoughts captive. I didn't know when it was going to stop. I didn't know when the depression was going to lift. I didn't know when she would feel better. I didn't know when the light would come back on. And I would run with that and fear would take over in my life as someone that loved her. She's the same way. In that season of depression, man, the fear, the anxiety. Will I be able to do the things I want to do? Will I be able to get up and go to work? Will I be able to sleep again? Will food taste the same way it used to again? And man, if you run with those thoughts when you're in that season, when you're in that room, it's really scary. That's why he says take them captive, and then he says to investigate them. Take them captive. Don't run with those thoughts. And then while you have it captive, investigate it, and let's figure out where it's coming from. I love the book. I just finished it. It's called Kill the Spider. Kind of a cool name for a book. But the idea of the book was, listen, sometimes we want to get all the spider webs. Sometimes we want to go after all the symptoms. All right, why am I feeling this way? Why am I thinking this way? Why am I talking this way? Why is the cloud on me? It's, these are symptoms. Kill the spider says go after the spider. Don't just settle for getting the cobwebs out of the way. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your kids. It's not the job. Those are all symptoms. What is the source? What's the spider? What's the thing that's causing those thoughts to come? It all starts in your thoughts. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. One of my favorite verses, this is a theme verse from my family, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your He's saying there's something to this. Control the skies. It starts with your thoughts. Now, here's what makes this really, really hard. Old habits are hard to break. Hard to teach an old dog new tricks. I tell you, um, I told you, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to understand what depression and anxiety is like. But I'll tell you what I do understand. I am dyslexic. All right? I struggle with dyslexia. I've been that way all my life, ever since elementary school. I am the worst speller in this room. Guaranteed. Predi you know, the predictive text, it doesn't even know the words I'm putting in there. I had to cancel it. It's true. Every time I write a message, I have to send it to someone to proofread this message before I send it to my group leader so they'll know what it's even about. The spelling is that bad. And if you told me, Craig, you need to be a better speller. I'm 40 years old. I can't change the way I spell. Well, there's some tools now. If I would have known then what I know now, there are tools to help students and kids that are dyslexic. It's amazing. They teach them a whole different way to learn. What you guys do at the 3D school is incredible. Dyslexic tutors that are one-on-one -on -one with kids. They're teaching them new patterns that they can put in place so that they don't have to struggle. And there are patterns that you can put in place in your life. If you're here today and you go, I am struggling with depression and anxiety. There are new tools. There is counseling. There is medicine. There is help that you can find. You don't have to suffer in silence. This isn't the world it used to be. It's okay to be depressed. 
Our senior pastor, our leader told you it's what he struggles with. I'm telling you, it's where we are. It's mistakes that we have made. But we don't have to stay in silence about that. There are tools. There are ways you can find help. If I told you I'm going to be a better speller on my own, I would crash and burn. I need help. And listen to me. If you're here today, man, do not let me Jesus juke you with this verse and tell you to tighten up and control your thoughts. Instead, hear me say, you might need help. There are seasons in our life where we needed medicine, where we needed counseling, where we needed some mentors to look at us and say, this too shall pass. I'll never forget. We worked at Pine or we worked at a different church at that time. And the leader of that church, we sat down with him and his wife, and they looked at us square in the eye and said, it is going to get better. This too shall pass. This is a room. This isn't a house. Don't give up. Train your thoughts. Watch your words. The third thing to remind you, if you're in that season, watch your words. Train your words. You and I use 5,000 words a day. Today, I'm going to go way over that. 5,000 words a day. I started thinking about those words because Proverbs says your words either bring life or they bring death. And then I started thinking, and here's what I want you to ask. How do you speak to you? Not what do you say to others because, listen, I was so convicted by this. Can I, you can't imagine how much time I put into this message. Now, I, I'm, hopefully you can. I hope it's okay. But I put a lot of time into this. I really watched my words. But then I started thinking, what about all the other words that I use? Not just the, the, the 30 minutes I'm going to talk to you. What about the rest of the days when I'm talking to me, when I'm looking at me in the mirror? How do I speak to myself? And one of the things that's happened to you and to me is that we have gone rogue in how we speak to ourselves. You say some things to you that you would never tell to somebody else. You say some things and you put some labels over your life that aren't true. And the enemy wants them to stay there as long as they can because he uses that to nail down depression, to nail down anxiety. But we need to fire ourselves. We need to fire ourselves. You have a terrible contract. You need to fire yourself. And you need to sign a new contract that says, I'm going to talk to myself like a son or a daughter of the king. I'm going to see myself through the lens that God sees me as his beloved, as his son, as his daughter, as his masterpiece. Listen, he says he is the one that put you together, that formed you. He did not make a mistake. And when you speak to you, you need to remember who you're speaking to. You're speaking to a son or a daughter of the king. Levi Lusco says it this way. It's a great book. It's a tool that all of our campuses you can get it right out in the atrium. If this is where you are, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression, this is a great tool. It's called I Declare War. Here's what he says. Part of the journey of seeing the light in your life come back is learning to alter how you feel through changing the way that you speak. You don't have to say everything you feel like saying. We could stop right there. The words you speak over people can change the course of their lives. But the person you and I talk to more than anyone else is you and words are like toothpaste once they come out they don't go back in how do you speak to you Ephesians 4 watch the way that you talk say only what helps each word is a gift God, I love people that give good gifts what kind of gifts do you give with your words what kind of gifts do you give to you in the way that you speak to you what kind of gifts and listen this is a place I made a lot of mistakes what kind of gifts do you give to people who are struggling with anxiety, anxiety and depression with how you speak to them? You speak behind their back. 
Are you judging them? Are you talking down to them because this is the season they're in? Listen, there's some church people that have said some really stupid things to people that struggle with anxiety and depression. Can we just be honest? This isn't something that they asked for. This is a season. This is something that they are working through. And I want you to know what A.W. Tozier says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So far, I've been talking about your thoughts, your words, what you think about when you think about God. Now I want you to see what God thinks about when he looks at you. Not what he thinks about when you're leading the group. Not what he thinks about when you're giving the big bucks. Not what he thinks about when you're inviting people in. What God thinks about when he sees you, when the light in your light has gone out. When you have nothing to offer. When you're paralyzed with fear. When you're struggling with anxiety and depression, I want you to know that God sees you. And to understand what God thinks about you, you're going to have to get over what some other people might have told you. Maybe the thing you heard is you just need to pray more. I said, I think prayer is a wonderful thing. And in our journey, prayer was a part of healing. So was counseling. So was rest. You know, he created rest, God. What you might need to do is to get help so you can rest. Maybe you've heard the only mood that a Christian should experience is joy. Listen, that, that's crazy talk. God created all of our emotions. God has gifted you to the ability to feel deeply. It's a gift that you have that I don't have. There's only so low or there's only so far I can go to connect with people. But those of you that struggle in that area, you have such a gift. I want you to see what Jesus says to you. If you're here today, listen, and you're wondering, what does God think about me when the light has gone out? He leaves us this passage so that we can see it. Jesus has gone from town to town. He's gone from village to village. He's been doing what he does. He's just been with people. He's been healing people. Every disease, he's been teaching with authority. And the disciples are watching him, and they're just in awe. Let's pick it up. It's in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He was teaching in the synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Boy, he was healing every disease and sickness. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to be a part of that? Just to watch Jesus step in and to heal. And then Jesus saw the crowds. And I want you to see what Jesus felt when he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I want to zoom in on one verse. It's verse 36. It's real simple. He had compassion on you. He has compassion on you. When the light has gone out, what does Jesus think when he sees you? hurting and struggling. He has compassion for you. He has compassion for you was a term that was used 10 times in scripture. Lots of times it has two different meanings, like a lot of the words we use now. Sometimes it was a lighthearted term that meant, like we say today, just bless your heart. I mean, if I were to start singing up here, you would just say, bless your heart. Quit, but bless your heart. But if I showed you a picture on those screens of a child that was starving and he was hurting and his ribs were showing man you you would say more than bless your heart you would feel a sense of pain and that's the term that Jesus used man he was moved to action when he saw a crowd he didn't think like you and me look I'll be honest when I see a crowd I think about how I can get around them I see a crowd I think about what can I get from them when I see a crowd I think about how can I cheat the system to get to, to get through it and Jesus sees the crowd and he sees you and his heart goes out 
Three specific times he saw the first, he saw brokenhearted people. I love the story. It's in Luke 7. And Jesus is going from town to town. He's doing the things he's doing. And he gets interrupted by a funeral. Interrupted. He was going from place to place. He had things to do. And he stopped everything he was doing because he ran into a widow who had just lost her son. And it was a funeral. And he had compassion on her. She was hurting. She was broken. She was dealing with some emotions. And she was overwhelmed. It sounds like depression. And Jesus stopped everything he did so that he could see her, so that he could meet with her, so that he could ask questions of her, so that he could love her. He had compassion on her. He has compassion on the brokenhearted. He has compassion on the lonely. I love the story in Scripture with the man with leprosy. You know that story? The man with leprosy. And listen, leprosy in that time, man, it, the, the guy was pushed out of every sense of community. He was a loner because of leprosy. No one would engage with him. No one would sit with him. No one understood him. Maybe you've said that with depression and anxiety. He didn't have a place at the table anymore. And he comes to Jesus. He said, Jesus, would you heal me? And Jesus sees him. He has compassion for him. He is moved to action because of what he was dealing with. He didn't judge him. He didn't give him a verse and a prayer and say, go get it. Tighten up, buttercup. No, he stopped everything he was doing because he was broken, because he was lonely. That's the way Jesus sees you in that stage. Maybe you're distant. Third example, when he uses that phrase, it was the prodigal son. I love that story, Luke 15. Prodigal son had run off. No one understood how he was. No one understood what he did. He made mistakes. Man, some of these were his decisions. Maybe it's something that the world caused. Maybe it's something that someone else caused. But he was distant. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. You feel distant. You feel like no one understands the way that you're feeling. No one understands where you've been. You feel separated. You feel like you are on an island. And Jesus sees his son. In the story of the prodigal son, the father represents God the father. And I love this because this is so powerful. He sees his son. He doesn't see the prodigal. Everywhere in Luke 15, it's the prodigal. It's the prodigal. The prodigal ran off. But then when Jesus gets involved, the father, he looks down and says, That's my son, I see. I don't see the addict. I don't see the guy that's addicted. I don't see the depression and I don't see the anxiety. The thing I see is my son or my daughter. And then what does he do? He runs to him. He doesn't judge him. He doesn't send a flare prayer. He runs to him and he embraces him. And he holds him. And he looks him right in the eyes and says, I am your father. I love you. Come back to me. And I want to close today with the one last verse. And I mean, again, the focus of today really is what do you do when the light's gone out and someone that you love, how do you love them well in that season? And really, again, I'm speaking to you from a lot of mistakes that I made with this. But if there's a couple of things, here it is. And here's the verse that I want to close with. It's Matthew 9, 37. It's the last one. And all this has happened. Jesus has used all that, that phrase. He had compassion on them. Nine times, he uses it ten times, nine times Jesus steps in and he solves the problem. The tenth time is this one I want you to hear. You ready? Matthew 9, 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples, you've heard this verse before, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of work to be done. But the workers are few. Disciples, those of you that are following Jesus, you're a worker. So what do you do? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest 
field. If you're here today and you are in a season, praise God, where depression and anxiety doesn't define you. And you have some margin in your life. You are feeling good. You're in touch with who you are. And man, you've got some freedom from those things. He says, you're a worker. This is your season to work. The harvest is plentiful. Talked to a doctor this week. She said 70% of her patients are dealing with anxiety and depression. The harvest, the work to be done is plentiful. Remember what Jesus described the people? They were helpless. They were harassed. But he says, you have a role. You're a worker. And he says, I want you to do three things. Number one, I want you to engage. See, if, I, I just remember when we were in that season... And again, man, depression can be a season. When we were in that season, I didn't want to talk to someone who had never been depressed or anxious. I wanted to talk to someone who had made it on the other side. And if you've been there, man, listen, don't, don't, don't share your, don't, don't, don't hide your story. Man, come to, come to recovery and be a leader. Be open, be vulnerable. We, we've shared this. We're doing our best to lead by example to say this is where we are. We're just one blind beggar sharing with another blind beggar where we found some help, where we found some food. That is ministry. If you've been there, share your story. Encourage other people. If you haven't been there, engage. What does it look like to engage? It looks like to ask questions. It looks like to say, I'm going to love you in this season, and until we're out of this season, I'm not going anywhere. I'll give you a picture. Sometimes I need a picture of what engagement looks like, and I love the movie Top Gun. You're like, where are you going with this one? Well, one, I can't wait till Top Gun 2 comes out. It's coming. But there's a scene at the very end of Top Gun where it, it, it's all broke loose. I mean, the war is happening in the skies. The battle has begun. And Tom Cruise is on the, on the battleship. And the instructor says, it's your turn. Go. And Tom takes off. And he's going to save the day in the battle. He's going to join in the fight. And all of a sudden, it's too much for him. You remember this scene. He'd already lost Goose, his partner, and he checks out. And instead of going this way to go engage in the battle, he takes his plane and flies the opposite direction. And the instructor's in his ears and he's saying, I think there's an explicit, engage, beep, engage, beep, engage. And finally, Tom turns the plane around and he goes and he gets in the battle. Listen, I cannot tell you this any clearer. Your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter that is depressed and anxious, they just want you to engage. Don't check out on them. Don't not be willing like me to go there. Find it in you to have a conversation, to begin to feel, to have some empathy, to engage with them. Number two, pray. Mark Batterson says this about prayer. Work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. It's a pretty good word. And the people that you love that are in that season, pray for them. Be constantly on your knees for them. Intercede for them. Pray. Number three, the last one, have compassion. That's what Jesus did. Man, if Jesus did it, then don't you think that's what we should do? Real simple, have compassion for people that are in that season. Watch your words. Wish I could take back some of mine. They don't need a pep talk. I need you to have compassion for them. I want to close today with a song. And I love this song. I've been listening to it all week as I've been getting ready. And the name of the song is called Seasons. And we chose this because we want to remind you that depression and anxiety can be, and many times, is a season. And Katie and I were talking about this message last night, and I was just kind of going back through it with her, and she was giving me some thoughts and some tips, and I said, well, what would you say? What should I tell people to kind of close this message that are in the middle of anxiety and depression, and they're wondering if the season shall pass, and they don't know what to do? What do you tell to people? 
who are trying to love the person that they're with, but they're struggling to have compassion. They're struggling to engage again. They're discouraged because of depression and anxiety. She said, tell them this. Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. This too shall pass. Just do the next right thing. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.